0: So uh, today, uh, as we look at uh, the message, I'm going to finish what I started last week, but um, I want to talk about, again, sanctified troublemakers and a part two version of that. And uh, as we began last week, we looked at some scripture out of Acts chapter 17, verses one through six. And in the context there, Paul and Silas are traveling to the city of Thessalonica where they end up and they Preach at a synagogue, a Jewish synagogue, on uh, uh, three Sundays, three Sabbaths in a row, and uh, use the scriptures to teach the people that Jesus is the Messiah that they have been looking for, that He has come in the flesh, that He has died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins, fulfilling the scriptures in every manner, and that He rose from the dead the third day. And the Spirit of God poured out. They were telling him and teaching them, as Paul was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says there that some of the Jews who were listening were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with many Greek uh, or God-fearing Greek men and uh, believers who already believed in the God of Israel but have converted to believe Jesus as the Christ. And it says also many prominent women. And, and I say just an amen again. God uses women who are in fire for God and called of God To fulfill his purposes i'm thankful that god does that verse number five uh, says this it's on the screen overhead but some of the jews were jealous there's always people who are going to be jealous of the success of the propagation of the gospel, the growth of Christ. You know, many people in the world who don't believe in Jesus don't mind a church keeping to themselves, keeping their mouths shut, just keeping it in the four walls of the church. But when it starts to expand and begin to grow and people in, in larger numbers are coming to f- saving faith in Jesus, they, get a, they have a problem with that. You're being too noisy. You're being too loud. You're being too obnoxious. You're being too pushy. Uh, even though that may not be the case about being pushy or being obnoxious. But obnoxious is a relative term, isn't it? And some people who do not love God and they are anti-Christ in their spirit and their soul uh, are, uh, believe that we're obnoxious and the church is obnoxious. Somebody say amen. But I like this. You know, uh, it says that some believed but some were jealous. And they gathered some troublemakers. Say Troublemakers. There's different kinds of troublemakers, and these are evil troublemakers who form a mob in the marketplace, and they start a riot, and that creates a whole series of events that goes on. But verse number um, six of that says Paul and Silas have uh, their accusation of the troublemakers when they were brought before the officials, said that Paul and Silas has caused trouble all over the world, they shouted, and they are here disturbing our city, too. They have, another other translations, they've turned the world upside down, and now they've come here to do the same here. And I just say, that every time I read that, I think, God, would it be true of our generation of the church that we would be accused of turning the world upside down, that we'd be accused of being troublemakers, but not bad troublemakers, but sanctified troublemakers, sanctified by the Spirit of God and doing His work, is is uh, many times termed troublemakers by those outside the faith. And, uh, you know, we have a, a mission. And as we said last week, the Apostle Paul uh, was not ashamed of the gospel. He was not afraid to preach it, even though he knew it would bring persecution. Romans one uh, sixteen says that uh, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek or to the Gentile. I quoted last week Skylar Glue, and he quotes it as saying this, that uh, it has been said that Jesus was a renegade outlaw, a sanctified troublemaker who rebelled against his culture. He lived by a different set of rules, denounced the moral and spiritual authorities of his day, and started a revolution. Even through his revolution, even though his revolution took place over 2,000 years ago, it is still being carried out today. The wars have been fought over it, nations have been built, and generations have been changed by what Jesus did during three decades on earth. Jesus was a sanctified troublemaker. He stirred the pot and raised questions and concerns about religious abuse and deviating from the true heart of God's will. And the apostles and the early church were considered the, the, to, by, the trouble, by the powers that be to be troublemakers because they proclaimed a radical new truth that one could be forgiven of their sins simply by believing on the Son of God. And this entire thing threw, flew in the face of the beliefs of their day uh, as it does today, that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation that is in his name only that we have, can have eternal life And that is obnoxious and upsets many people today. But then as now, those who proclaim this gospel must be ready uh, to be considered troublemakers. And they can call us what they want, but I am a sanctified troublemaker. I like to stir the pot and get people to ask questions about eternal life and about my beliefs. Somebody say amen. So we have a challenge today, just as they did. We're the minority uh, we also have an urgent call to fulfill the Great Commission of making disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all things that Jesus uh, commanded and taught to the, to the apostles uh, before uh, his death and crucifixion and resurrection. And the thing that is today is that people are dying by the multitudes without Christ. I think about the war in the Ukraine, and I pray that God, Romans 8.20, will turn what the enemy meant for evil into good. That he will do a work and do miracles in the midst of the people there. That in their hardship and in their suffering and in their pain and their loss, I'm praying that God will stir the pot of revival in that community and in that nation. That they'll turn to God for help and God will find mercy. I'm praying for miracles and deliverance on the battlefield. And I pray that for you as well. But God can use that and use adverse circumstances to advance his kingdom if the church is ready Uh, to thrust forward you know we talked about some of the things that they need or they had that we need uh, in order to accomplish the purposes God had called them and the very first one was they had the baptism in the Holy Spirit and Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem without being endued with power from on high. The promise of the Father you need to wait for and receive the promise of the Father. Now, we, like them, uh, probably, uh, when I was told about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the, my sister, uh, pastor, and uh, other uh, believers who were gathered round with me that first night to pray with me around the altar in the prayer room, uh, they kept trying to tell me what it was and I didn't know. They couldn't describe it because, and I found out later when I received it, it is indescribable. That it is beyond description. That you can't put it into human words. I, I think sometimes maybe that's why we needed a prayer language because we needed heavenly language to describe what God has given to us. But it's our prayer language. And on the day of Pentecost, uh, they were in one place, in one accord, it says, and there was a sudden sound of a rushing mighty wind that filled the room where they were sitting and praying, and then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, this was an incredible uh, beginning, just a beginning, a foundational beginning for an incredible revival that would sweep across the entire Roman world. That would spread the gospel uh, throughout the entire area. That even when persecution came, these spirit-filled saints of God, both men and women, boys and girls, were not discouraged. They didn't throw up their hands and quit. But instead, wherever they went, when they were scattered because of persecution, they proclaimed Christ to everyone. Anybody who would listen, they would proclaim Christ. And I pray that that is in this day, that we would not be silent if there ever was a time... For the sanctified church of Jesus Christ, blood-bought bunch of people from every denomination across the world currently, but every color, every ethnicity would proclaim the name of Jesus Christ as the way of salvation. The end is coming, I believe, very swiftly. We're in the last days, and it's time for the Spirit-filled people of God to stand up and proclaim Christ as crucified. Peter did on that day. He proclaimed Christ as crucified, uh, buried, and rose from the dead the third day. And when he spoke, Acts 2.37 says that when they heard the message of the salvation, they were cut to the heart, simply meaning they came under deep conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moved on their hearts, and they asked the apostles, what shall we do? What do we do? You know, and Peter simply told them, you need to repent, every one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to say that uh, the promise is to you and to your children, to all who are far off, as many as our Lord God will call. In other words, the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the initial physical evidence of speaking in tongues is for today. It's for you, to enable you, to empower you, to be His witnesses. And part of that empowerment is, is the power to live for Christ, the power to say no to temptation, the power to believe and to believe and to believe even the harder it gets to believe because he gives you a supernatural faith and a supernatural feeling of his authority to speak his word into the atmosphere, to lay hands on the sick and believe that God is going to cover them, to be unashamed of the gospel of Christ because you know it's the power of God unto salvation. And I love the, the part, too, that when we're baptized with the Holy Spirit, that, that prayer language comes. Many times we don't know how to pray about a situation or what to pray. We just do God, I need your wisdom. The book of James tells us that if we need wisdom, we can ask God. He'll give it freely and doesn't hold back. But we also have the words of wisdom from the manifestational gifts of the Holy Spirit. We have words of knowledge. And when God's people pray, God moves. When God's people pray, God answers. When God's people need wisdom, he provides it. And I'll just say that we need the Holy Spirit. And one thing that excites me is our prayer meetings here at the church. And we have some pretty powerful Tuesday morning prayer meetings. I have powerful prayer meetings by myself. You know, we don't need a crowd to pray. It's me, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. I mean, we were together, we're praying, seeking God. You know, we have on your bulletins each week, many of you take it for granted, but there's a place for you to put your prayer request, and and somebody will be praying for your needs if you fill that out. There's a prayer meeting this Friday that the ladies' group, the women's ministries is providing this Friday evening, it's in your bulletin, it's at 7 o'clock, where you can seek the Lord and pray and seek His face. We have a Holy Spirit conference coming on March the 27th, and uh, Caleb Wampler will be here And uh, on the 26th and 27th, and it'll be an all-day conference on the Holy Spirit. It's a workshop. You want to know more about the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, you come and you be a part of that. Get registered. You can register and turn it in. It's on the site of your tarot portion of your bulletin, but this is going to be a powerful thing. God has used Caleb all over the world. To preach to tens and tens of thousands and multitudes have come to Christ under his ministry. He moves in the manifestational gifts of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit gives him utterance to speak words of knowledge and words of uh, wisdom, prophetic words as well. I trust you are hungry enough to be there for that. We need to prepare for the end time revival that God is wanting to pour out on this church today, on the church of Jesus Christ, and I believe on this local church We need to stir the pot of God's anointing. Stir up, You know, Paul told Timothy, stir up the gift of God that is in you by the laying on of my hands. And it's up to each one of us to stir up the gift of God that is in you, that God has placed upon you, that he has given to you, that he has imparted to you from his hand. Somebody say amen. Amen. You know, when David was discouraged, what did he do? He encouraged himself in the Lord. He was stirring the pot. We need to do that as well. Especially when we're discouraged, especially when we don't know the answer to a difficult problem or situation. But God help us to press in, to not become lethargic, apathetic, complacent, or too lazy to seek the face of God. You know, God is, is doing something. You know what I want? I want, him, I want to be a part of what God is doing. I want to be on His side and on His team. Do you? Amen. Amen. And so, that's the the power of the Holy Spirit that we desperately need. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And secondly, what did they have? They had enjoyed authentic fellowship because, listen to me, what does the Word of God say? That after that 3,000 people were saved, those who received the Lord and received His Word were baptized. I love baptism. Somebody say amen. Amen you water baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, confessing your belief, being buried with Him in baptism, being raised to newness of life, coming up out of the water. But I would tell you that there were 3,000 people who were added to the church, and they continued steadfastly. They were not uh, just coming in and confessing and saying a prayer of confession, then going back to their old life as if nothing had happened. That is not salvation. That is Religion. Religion is not a relationship. The encounter with God is your relationship. That's what Christianity is all about. But these people, when they prayed, they meant it. They came under deep conviction of the Holy Spirit. They got saved. And it says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, the breaking of bread, and in prayers. And it says also in verse 43 that great fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. Say together. They showed up on church on Sunday. They showed up for prayer meetings. They showed up to each other's house for fellowship and the sharing of meals and the Lord's Supper. This is all they did together. They shared possessions of goods so that somebody had a need. They met that need. Somebody in the body met that need. They shared what they had. That is a beautiful picture of true Christianity and what the church ought to be about. Verse 46 caps it off here. It's on the overhead. So continuing daily with one accord, say one accord. In the temple and the breaking of bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. You know what the devil's number one aim is uh, in his strategy raid against the church of Jesus Christ and every local church, the manifestation, the picture of the church in a local form, is to conquer and divide through disunity. You notice how many times in these passages that it talks about they were together in one accord? You know, if we are divided, we're going to be fighting each other. If we were united, we're going to be encroaching on the kingdom of hell and raiding his gates. Too many times we find little things to divide us. Too many times church, churches are divided and split over foolishness that has nothing to do with eternal. In fact, it thwarts the plans of God for the advancement of the church in winning people for Christ and making disciples. It thwarts the cause and the abilities and the strategies for sending out missionaries across the world. If we can't get along, the devil sits back and says, I've done my job. And he's just so excited about that. But God help us. I say in the name of Jesus, God help us to be of one heart in one accord for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't have to agree on everything. It doesn't mean you're going to agree with everything, but it means you're mature enough as a disciple of Christ to look at that that disagreement as not an enemy, but a way to find a bridge to cross over and to meet somebody in the middle. They continued daily. They didn't wait. It doesn't say they continued every Sunday. Did you notice that? They didn't, they didn't say, "Oh, they met every once a week on Sunday morning, then they went out to, to the Chinese restaurant and had lunch. Or they met someone to go to the chicken? No. daily, they met together with one accord. Te- Where did they meet in the temple, at the church, and the breaking of bread from house to house? Are you hospitable? And they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. And we're fancy people. It's just it's more important we just have fellowship than what we're eating. Some people come for the food. Well, if the food's good, they'll come. I can tell you what, the fellowship should always be really good. Authentic fellowship. Now, when he talks about this authentic fellowship, it's, it means more than just gathering together and having a meal together. It means that there is some, something in the heart that knits our heart together. Paul told the Romans that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit and that we can discern, we can tell whether someone else is a, is a believer because our heart bears witness. I can, you can feel it. You know, I've, I've been out in public so many times but my whole life. And when I was in sales, I was all over the metropolitan Kansas City area in my route and then a district sales manager all over the region And if I walk into a public place or a restaurant, a fast food place, or even a grocery store called Making a Call, I can look around and oftentimes my spirit is bearing witness of somebody who's across the room and I look at them and I think, they're a believer. I remember my little girls were growing up, they were little, we'd be in a restaurant and I'd, I'd say something like, I think that person over there, that family over there, I think they're Christians. They'd look at me, Daddy, how can you tell? And I said, I just know, I think I do. And then next thing you know, that family over there at the table across the room is bowing their heads to pray for their meal. Has that happened to you? Authentic fellowship that our hearts bear witness that we are the children of God. You know, Once this crowd was scattered and separated, now they're together. Now they're in unity and they're in fellowship. Once they were fearful, running for their lives and hiding behind locked doors, now they're full of faith and courage. Once they were scared, silent, now they're uh, anointed to speak up with a full voice and confidence in the name of Jesus. Now they're ready to also give their lives for the sake of the gospel if need be. What was their fellowship based upon? And we said this. the Apostles' Doctrine that surrounded the Word of God, the teaching about Christ. It was their shared faith and experience that we are believers. You have the like precious faith that I have. And their love for Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Ask the question. Do you love Him? One day last week I was in prayer. You know, the Holy Spirit leads you in different directions when you're praying and I'm praying in the Spirit and all of a sudden, I felt uh, an incredible holiness, the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. I was in this worship center, and I knelt down. It's hard for me to kneel down. I got uh, painful knees sometimes if I hit the hard floor. And, uh, but I, I felt, you need to kneel before the Lord. The holiness of God is here. This is a holy place. And I began to kneel, and I began to pray. And I started speaking the name of Jesus. And there's some old hymns that we used to sing that came to my heart. And were about Jesus and about his precious name. And about how much we love that name. And Jesus kept coming back. And the love of God, the love for God just manifested in my heart, just overflowing. And I thought, you know, I haven't done that for a long time. I haven't spoken the name of Jesus while I worship. And we thank you, Lord, but he is Lord, but his name is Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. Precious name. Oh, how sweet. Hope of earth and joy of heaven. Some of those old hymns. Do you love Jesus? They shared a love for Jesus. You know, I remember a college uh, teacher of mine, Barry Foster was his name, very powerful in the word and on the, earning his doctorate, very close to earning his doctorate at that time. And uh, he said, You know, so many times, this had been way back in the 80s and middle 80s, and he said, You know, he says, uh, It's not enough sometimes just go up and ask somebody, Are you a Christian? He says, Because you can tell sometimes. And he said, I was in a shop, a small shop, and there was this other customer in there at the counter, and I was waiting, and I thought, This man is a believer. I can just tell. I just feel it. And, and, uh, and I, and I finally asked him when I had a chance, are, are you a Christian? And he said, yes. He says, oh, do you love Jesus too? He said, he didn't say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. He said, yeah, do you love Jesus too? And Barry said, he says, maybe that's the way we should ask. Not are you a Christian because it seems like most everybody says, yeah, I'm a Christian. But do you love Jesus? What did they have that we didn't have? They had a fellowship an authentic relationship with each part of the body of Christ. And, you know, often you don't even have to know the names of people to love them because they love Jesus too. Somebody say, man. And they they shared their faith and experience, and they shared their love for Jesus, and they shared their passion for winning souls to Christ. They shared a burden for the lost. They shared a concern about where people were going to spend eternity. And because of that, they join together in unity and one spirit, one accord to spread the gospel throughout the world. We need to hold on to that kind of fellowship once we have it. Because once you lose it, you're in a dark place. In isolation away from the people in the body of Christ. That's why the book of Hebrews said uh, uh, in, in verse 10, uh, ch- excuse me, chapter 10, 23 and 24, says, Let us, say let us talking about us, okay? Uh, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. uh, For he who promised is faithful. And verse 24, and let us, say let us, consider how, uh, uh, consider one another in order to stir the love, each other up to love and good works. And it goes in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner or the custom of some, but instead exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know, when people are uh, kind of AWOL from church, somebody says, well, that's the pastor's job to get up. No, it's, it's not just my, it's yours. They're your brothers and sisters. It's just to make a phone call, to knock on the door, just say, hey, is there something I can pray with you about? We need to stir one another up as we see the day of the Lord approaching. You know why? Because the Bible talks about in the end times there's going to be a great falling away from the faith. At the same time there's going to be a great revival and people coming to faith but there are people falling away getting discouraged walking away from their belief in Jesus and we need to heed the call to stir one another up and exhort one another as we see the day of the Lord approaching. What else did they have? They had been fully they were fully yielded to Christ. There's so many lackluster commitments today. And I, I try not to be sound or come across as being negative or critical. That's not my spirit. Uh, but there's so many that you wonder, where are you at with God? Have you really trusted Christ as Savior? You know, when I, when I recommitted my life to Jesus when I was just uh, 18 years old, or right about that time, 17, 18, and I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. I couldn't keep my mouth shut. Somebody says, You still can't, but, uh, but I couldn't keep my mouth shut. Everybody I saw, I wanted to tell them about Jesus. I mean, just, just everybody. And, and it just had a passion and a love for people I didn't have before. You know, before I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's like, uh, I don't care that much for people. You know, there's a few people who are okay. But once I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, God gave me his heart. He released to me his burden and his love that overflowed. And I love people. And I care about people. I care about their suffering and I care about their hurting. I can't tell you my heart is broken over war and the destruction that it brings. The stories that come out of the Ukraine and other places that have had similar situations, it's, it's, it's horrifying. You know, Jesus said that the devil has come to kill, to steal, and destroy. And that's exactly what he's doing. But he says, I've come to give life and life to the full. And when we, we share his heart, we share his values. We share his compassion and his love for people. And people are suffering. And we need to care about people. When we're fully yielded to Christ, I, I like to say fully yielded to Christ Determines how close to Christ you feel, how real He is in your own life. I like to be, put it this way, to be so close to God that when He speaks to me, I can feel the breath on my ears, the breath of God. I want to hear His voice. I want to share His heart. I want to have His eyes. I want to have His heart and His voice, and His hands and His feet. You know, uh, there was a time in book of Acts, chapter 4, where the apostles were called on the carpet for what happened on the day of Pentecost. Miracles had happened, and, and uh, they were uh, called on the carpet, and they were commanded by the Sanhedrin, the rulers of the day, not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus Christ. Again, but Peter and John, when they were called on the carpet and they were... Uh, taken to task Peter and John answered with great boldness because they had the anointing of the Holy Spirit whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God you be the judge now this wasn't disrespectful it was just a just stating of a fact you judge you're the religious leaders you're the one who decide these things should we listen to God or should we listen to you And he goes on to say, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. The answer was a resolute, respectful, no. We will not obey your command because it flies in the face of what God has told us to do and what's in our heart. You know what happens when you're fully surrendered to Christ and fully yielded to him? It's kind of like Jeremiah, the prophet, who was a prophet who was called to proclaim judgment over Israel. And he was not a popular prophet, okay? They weren't taking offerings for him. They weren't giving him pastor or prophet appreciation days. They weren't sending him cards and letters. If they did, they wouldn't be very nice. They rejected him. They hated him. He was proclaiming the Word of God. It was a hard assignment. He had no converts, and yet he was told to keep on preaching, And Jeremiah made this statement at one time, he said in his writings, he said, every single time I try to keep my mouth shut, every time I try to be quiet, he said, I'm not going to speak the word of the Lord anymore. He said, when I do that, I feel like I have fire in my bones. And I can't help but speak because the fire in my bones is driving me to speak the word of the Lord. And you know what we need today? We need a church that is so yielded to Christ, yielded to the will of God and has the heart of God that it's like fire in our gut, fire in our belly, that we can't help but speak the things that God has spoken to us. We cannot but help but speak the gospel into the atmosphere and to people that we know and even people that we don't know to share the gospel of Christ, to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. And even with threats, as the the apostles were here, threats from the authorities, they were courageous and loyal to the preaching of the gospel. And there are threats today in our culture, a nation that used to be founded on the precepts and principles of the word of God, where you're told to be quiet. You can't speak in the public forum anymore. You're, You're a church, you're a 503C, you can't. Do that you're you get tax deductions you can't speak those are all lies and we cannot capitulate to threats from the authorities or from others they laid down everything on the altar as a sacrifice to God For some of that, that meant great financial loss. To some, it meant the loss of their reputation and even losing friends. Did anybody here, you don't have to raise your hand, did you lose friends when you became a Christian? I did. People didn't want to hang out with me anymore. My drinking buddies decided they weren't going to call me anymore or talk to me. That's all we had in common was partying. I had people walk away from me. And, I, and I, my pastor once told me, he says, Tim, don't let that discourage you. Uh, for every friend you lose, God has more in the church. You know, I, I continue to try to be a friend of people outside the faith because we shouldn't just treat them as projects. But, but I have fellowship with the saints of God that trumps anything that I used to have in the world. Some people meant, it meant persecution and prison and even to some, martyrdom. That they gave their life to Christ. Why would they do that? Because they we're fully committed, fully yielded to the will of God. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back at this time, and uh, let me just finish up with this. Paul surrendered everything. You know, Paul's a, a great example of someone who surrendered everything. He he lost his reputation among the elite in the nation in the Sanhedrin. Um, He might have lost even uh, the fellowship and the approval of his relatives, his friends. We don't know for sure. But many people walked away from him. And he became, who was the persecutor, became the persecuted. And yet Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 verse 7, Whatever things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. And what did he say? He says, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of of the knowledge of Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ. And be found in him not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Why does he want that? Why should we want it? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings Being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Full surrender. Full surrender. Yielding everything to God. They voluntarily surrendered their life, their wealth, their reputations and futures to yield to the will of God and to the furtherance of the gospel of Christ. They turned their world upside down. They became sanctified troublemakers for the kingdom of God's sake. And we, like them, need the spirit baptism to be effective witnesses for Christ. We, like them, need authentic fellowship one with another. So don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. as is the custom of some. And we also need to be fully yielded and surrendered to the will of God for our life. Will of God for our life. And to the call of God that is on our life. Somebody says, I'm afraid to surrender to God because he might call me into the ministry. I'm afraid if I surrender everything to God and tell him I'll do anything, he might call me to the mission field. I'm afraid because God might want me to give more than I'm willing to give. But I'll tell you what, there's nothing that you can lose that you will not find something so much greater. God never asks you to forfeit something unless he has something so much better that you can't even imagine he wants to bless you with. So Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time of worship and the adoration that we give to the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus. We thank you, Lord God, that he is here today, that his Holy Spirit is here. We thank you, Lord God, for the common faith and love for Jesus that we share of the people in this room, but also those watching, Lord God, on the live stream. We pray your blessing on each and every one here. That, Lord God, we would press in to seek your face, not to just be baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues one time, but Lord, to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord, to continually allow the Holy Spirit to fill us and that, Lord, we could spill out, Lord, on other people to where they can experience the presence of, your, of, your, of you, Lord God, in their life. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.